morning, everyone. Um, the benefit of those that uh, do not know me, I, Pastor Roger Collins mentioned, but I am Pastor Dennis Lewis, and it's a privilege to be here with you this morning to open up God's Word and to talk about the resurrection. Uh, one of the things I love about Easter is people who you never see in suits, you get to see in suits on Easter Sunday. Um, you know, everybody kind of dresses up and... Um, and looks clean and pretty and good. And so um, that's always a joy and a privilege to see. Um, something else that I love about the Easter season um, is that it, it really gives us a chance to pause and reflect on things that we might have forgotten about. I remember um, listening to the radio station and uh, somebody made the point, uh, this disc jockey, I don't know who he was, but he said um, his favorite song, I guess, had just finished playing. And then afterwards he said, you know, I wish I could hear that song again for the first time. And I knew exactly what he meant. There's something about when you hear something for the first time and it moves you that you always want to go back to. And one of the things I love about the Easter season is that I get to go back to familiar stories and look at them afresh. This morning, I'm going to read a text that most of you have probably heard before. You've heard preached before. You've read it yourself. You've studied it yourself. But before we begin, and as I read it, I want you to read it as if you are hearing it for the first time. I know that's hard. But the Spirit of God can allow that to happen. Hey, listen, let us never get tired of hearing the old, old stories and allowing these stories to still have the life-changing, life-affirming impact that they did when we first heard it. Because in doing so, they allow our hearts and our minds to be shaped by the power of the gospel. And so let's read uh, this text, Mark. And I, uh, chapter 15, and I'm going to begin at verse number 33. It's a bit of a lengthy text, but I think it's worth it, and you'll understand why I'm doing this um, once, once I read it. So hear now the word of God, Mark 15, beginning at verse 33, and we're going to read into chapter 16 and stop at verse number 8. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Leme Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cried, cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. And there was also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. 
And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Then the Sabbath was passed. Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. And let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, indeed, this is your word. And these are your people. And I pray that today your word might lodge deeply in the heart of your people. And they might understand and know the beauty and wonder of your grace. And so bless us now, I pray, as we look for a brief moment in your word. May these words truly bring about the kind of transformation that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. This past week, I ended up reading uh, a lot of articles, and various articles, in fact, about how Jesus and the resurrection transformed the world. In fact, there's a book written by Christopher Hudson wrote, Uh, He wrote about the transforming power of um, Jesus' gospel. And in the book, he talks primarily about all the things that Jesus Christ's death caused in the world. For instance, some of you may know this or you may not, but he said that um, Jesus transformed the way we tell time. This is true. Uh, He talks about how Jesus' uh, death brought about human rights. And how we treat women differently as a result of it. Um, He talked about educational systems. He talked about how Jesus and his resurrection influenced art and science. 
and how we transformed entire societies. And I res- as I read through the book, one of the things I kept waiting for him to do is talk about how Jesus Christ transformed us. Hey, listen to me. The gospel, as I just read it, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm glad it transformed the way we tell time. I'm glad that it transformed the way we uh, educate ourselves. I'm glad that it brought about health care. I'm glad that it brought about all these things that happened in society. But the thing that I'm most glad about, the thing that I'm most excited about, is how the gospel has transformed us, people. Because that's the purpose of the gospel. That's the purpose of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was meant to transform us. One of the things that the Bible assumes is that you and I are profoundly broken. And listen, I don't have to stand up here and tell you how profoundly broken you are. You're aware of that every time you look in the mirror. You're aware of all the things in your life that are wrong, that are just not the way they need to be. And one of the things that the gospel does is it it serves as a mirror to remind us that we are in need of change. As one pastor once said, he said, look, yes, Jesus Christ accepts us all the way we are. He loves us just the way we are, but he isn't content with leaving us there. And one of the profound realities of the gospel is that Jesus isn't content with leaving us just the way we are. That the gospel shows that he is about transforming our hearts and minds into conformity of his image. And so I want to ask you the simple question today. Have you been transformed by the power of the gospel? Are you being transformed by the power of the gospel? In the text that I just read you today, I want us to look at three people who had their lives transformed by the gospel. And one of the things I love about this text is this text actually is representative of the three people that might be in here today. It's broad enough to where it covers all of us. And I want you to see how the gospel, as it's presented here in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, actually had a profound transformative effect. And then I want to look at specifically how, in in the various unique ways, this is so. And so let's begin. Um, The first person in this text that I want you to see is a centurion. Notice with me in verse um, 39. It said that when the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Truly, this man was the son of God. Now, let's look at the life of this centurion for a moment. This centurion was a hard man. In fact, one way to look at this text is to see that he was a hard-hearted man. The Bible says of these centurions that they were trained killers, hardened by the world. The Bible says of these centurions that they were stone-cold men. In fact, one of the things that you recognize about about the Bible is that the Jews hated men like the centurion. Why? Because they were heartless killers without compassion. These men were ruthless and oppressed God's people. 
This man uh, had no qualms about killing people and murdering them. This was not the kind of man that we and I would suppose would be the object of God's grace. And yet in this text, we see him after he looked upon the person of Jesus saying, truly, he was the son of man. Now, let me ask you this one question. What changed for him? What changed for him, the scripture tells us, is that he saw the way Jesus died. You say, Pastor, what do you mean he saw Jesus died? Let me say it like this. This centurion had seen many people die. Hundreds and thousands probably of people die. He saw them die. And one of the things about crucifixion is that no one was crucified or died quietly in crucifixion. In fact, most people that were crucified fought and kicked and spit and threw jeers. In fact, it took many of these soldiers to hold them down and crucify them and drive the nails through his hand. He had seen thousands of people die, but he had never seen anyone die like this. He had never seen anyone die like this. He was there when Jesus was nailed to the cross. And he heard Jesus not yell at his captors and those that were nailing him to the cross. But he heard Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He stood there and heard Jesus being reviled by the Pharisees and those that passed. And instead of yelling at them back, Jesus stayed quiet. He saw the agony on Jesus' face and the pain. But even in the midst of that, he turned to his mother and said, he turned to his disciple and said, take care of my mother. He saw the thief on the cross curse Jesus and swear at him. And at the same time, he saw Jesus bringing one of them into the kingdom. Listen, I don't know how many of you inside here have seen somebody die. But often it is not a pretty sight. And here in this moment when this centurion, this battle-hardened centurion, this centurion who had seen many people die, when he looked at Jesus, he knew that there is someone, something different about Jesus because in the midst of dying, Jesus died with love and grace in his heart. And that was clear to him. He had never seen anyone die like this. And in this moment, he said, truly, this was the son of God. N.T. Wright, who was the first, uh, N.T. Wright in his commentary, he's a Bible scholar, said he was the first, meaning the centurion, was the first person to utter the language of son of God right after Jesus died. And that meant that this centurion saw who Jesus was in that moment just based on his death. Let me ask you a question. Have you come to that point in your life where you've truly looked at the death of Jesus and realized no one dies like this? This is transformative. Have you come to the place in your life where the death of Jesus has melted your heart and in your mind? Look, this was a hardened centurion. And in the face of Jesus' death, his heart melted. As one person said, and I agree with them, 
When you see the transforming power of Jesus' love on the cross, that he died for you, and he did not fight back. He did not yell a word. He willingly accepted the punishment that was given to him. When you see this profound love, it melts even the hardest heart. What does the Bible say, in fact? The Bible says that he promises to take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, a heart that responds to the message of the gospel. So that's the first person we see. We see this centurion hardened by life, hardened by his circumstances, and yet his heart is softened, softened by the death of Jesus. That's the first person we see. Notice the second person that we see. Drop down to verse number 42 and 43. We see Joseph of Arimathea. Now, how does the gospel change Joseph of Arimathea's heart? Well, the Bible lets us know in verse number 43. He was a respected member of the council who himself was looking for the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean? Well, Joseph of Arimathea was born a Jew. And he spent his whole entire life living a good Jewish life. He grew up obeying the law. He grew up doing things the right way. And the whole point of this narrative is to set up the reality that Joseph of Arimathea had spent his entire life building a good reputation. Building a good reputation. He was a good man that did the right thing all the time. And now the Bible says that he is placed in a situation where he has to put his reputation on the line. And how do we see that in this passage? Notice that it says in verse number 43 that it took courage for him to go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. What does that mean? That means asking Pilate for the body of Jesus meant that his reputation was going to be taken away from him. That in this point in the narrative, he had seen Jesus. He wanted to uh, take the body of Jesus and give it a proper burial. But he knew that it, was, it would come as a cost. And it would come at the cost of his own reputation. And let me say this. One of the things about the gospel for each and every one of us inside here today is that the gospel has to tear down our reputation. It has to cost us our reputation. And it was costing him his reputation. But I want you to see something that the text tells us that's very powerful. In uh, Jesus' day, you didn't call the morgue when somebody died. In Jesus' day, what happened when somebody died was that you took the body and you had to clean the body and wash the body off and wrap the body and prepare the body for death. And one of the things that's interesting is if you read all of the ancient Near East accounts to this, that, his, that one of the things that they did um, during this time is that slaves and women were responsible for preparing the body. Because no respectable man would ever take a body and wrap it and clean it. That's just not what you would do. But notice what this text says. All of the verbs that go back to uh, Jesus and, and cleaning his body are all said of Joseph of Arimathea. Notice that he was the one that asked for the body. Verse number 46, he was the one that bought the linen shroud. He was the one that took Jesus down. He was the one that wrapped the body. 
He was the one that laid him in the tomb and cleaned him up. He was the one that rolled the stone back. All was him over and over again at the risk of his own reputation, at the risk of his own life. He was willingly, he willingly laid down his reputation all for the sake of Christ to show his love and his passion for Jesus. And let me ask you a question today. Have you done the same? Have you done the same? Have you willingly laid down your life and your reputation for the sake of the gospel? Or are you still like Joseph, uh, Joseph of Arimathea was, proud at heart? One of the ways in which we see the gospel transforming us is that the gospel causes us to lay down our pride and our reputation all for the sake of Christ. And that's what the text points us to. Now notice the third person or the third group of people that's transformed by the gospel. Notice with me Mary uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James in verse number 16. It said, when the Sabbath was, pa- was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Now, if you read through this text, I want you to notice these are the groups of disciples that, was Je- that, that were with Jesus at his death, burial, and resurrection. They were the only group of disciples there throughout the entire process. And scripture tells us that they came not expecting a resurrection, but expecting to clean Jesus up and provide Jesus with a proper burial and anointing. And what's powerful about this passage is that these women were the social outcasts of the day. They lived in a society where their testimony was not credible, that they had little to no rights, that they were just simply property, and that their words and opinions were of no value. And yet the scripture tells us that these women were the first people to witness the resurrection. Notice with me um, later on in verse number five, where it says, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Now, why would Jesus give this privilege to these people that were brokenhearted and downcast? Because again, this is a metaphor for the gospel. That the gospel calls the brokenhearted, those that are, that are broken, that are sad, that are outcast by society, that these are the ones that are representative of Christ's kingdom. And so the gospel indeed transformed these women from outcasts to those now who are responsible for carrying out the message of the kingdom. Now, for the rest of the time that we have, I want to talk about why this matters, why this matters. And this matters for three reasons. First of all, this passage teaches us that the kingdom of heaven belongs to all. The kingdom of heaven belongs to all. That's why the king came, to produce a kingdom that belongs to all. Notice, he took a Gentile centurion, hardened by the world. Then he took uh, this Joseph of Arimathea, filled with pride. Then he took a bunch of women who were rejected by society, and he brought them into his kingdom. It tells us that the kingdom belongs to all. And listen, why is this important? We live in a world today that divides us on every level. It divides us based on our race. 
I'm black, you're white. It devises based on socioeconomic status. You're rich, I'm poor. It devises in politically. You're Democrat, I'm, I'm, I'm whatever, Republican, right? Hey, we live in a world that divides us on every single level, every single level. And you look at this text, all, each and every person that came into Jesus' kingdom, all of them are completely different. A Gentile, uh, uh, someone who's, a, and then Joseph of Arimathea, someone who's a part of the Ying crowd. And then you have Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James. These were outcasts. All of them now are in God's kingdom. Man, that's glorious, and that's because of the resurrection. Look at the people in here today. Look at all of you. All of you are different. You may be different politically. You may be different socioeconomically. You may be different in terms of education. But it doesn't matter. We're all in here today for one reason. Because of the kingdom of heaven and what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. The kingdom belongs to all. No one is excluded from this glorious kingdom. Are you in the kingdom? And if you are in the kingdom, are you allowing the unity that's found in the kingdom to influence everything you do and say? Or are you still like the world, caught up in the distinctions that divide us? That's nonsense. You know, one of the reasons why I stopped listening to the radio is that, or, or the news is that they're all, all of them are interested in dividing us and to get us in factions. But that's antithetical to the kingdom of God. You know, I, I hear people all the time say, Pastor Dennis, I wish we would go back to the early church. It's like, no, you don't. Have you read the book of Acts? I mean, they're fighting like cats and dogs. But in the midst of them fighting like cats and dogs, what do you notice? What is the unifying principle? The risen Savior. Beloved, we are all in here today because we serve one Lord who has drawn us together in his kingdom. And that's evidenced by the people that we see today. You couldn't have three groups of people that were more different. And yet now they're brought underneath one kingdom. And I hope you all realize today that the kingdom is glorious and powerful. Next reason why I think this matters is that anyone could be transformed by the gospel. I've told you all a bunch of times, but I have a friend. His name is, I have many friends, but uh, this one in particular. Um, his name is Justin Jarrett. And Justin, if I were to put him someplace on this list, he would be the centurion. Heart of hearts. Wants nothing to do with the kingdom. And there are times when I wonder, God, can you do anything with his heart? Can you transform him? Because every time I meet up with Justin or spend time with him, it seems like his heart has gotten even more harder than he did before. And some of you inside here today have relatives and people that you know that you've been praying for and, and trying to help them understand the gospel, and it just seems like it's hopeless. That their hearts aren't being softened. Well, let me tell you today that, that keep praying. Keep praying. And keep talking to them about the gospel, because if 
Jesus can change the heart of a hardened centurion. He could change any heart. And if Jesus could change the heart of a prideful man like Joseph of Arimathea to get him to clean the body of Jesus and to wrap it and to put it in his tomb personally at the risk of his reputation, then he could change any heart. And if the gospel can reach a group of women who were despised by their cultures and turn them into the first evangelists of the gospel, then he could do anything with anyone. Do you believe that today? Then let's live like it. Because this evidence, the power of the gospel. And the last thing I want to say is this. We have profound access to the kingdom. Notice with me in verse 38. It's the splitting of the, t- of the curtain of the temple that actually creates this cascade of grace. In verse number 38, the Bible says, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Uh, again, I've read the scripture my whole Christian life. And just recently I paused to reflect on how powerful it is. Now, now normally the way we think about this is that now we have access to uh, the Father, which is true. We do. You now have access to the Father. You have now access to the Shekinah glory of God. In other words, his very presence. You don't need a temple. You don't need a mediator. You can come straight to God. That's great. And by the way, are you availing yourself of that access? Hey, if I gave you, uh, if I put a billion dollars in your bank account, do you think you'd just leave it there? Of course not. If you had access to the most powerful person on earth, would you not pick up the phone and need? Of course you would. Hey, do you realize that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been given profound access to the kingdom? And the question is, are you availing yourself of it? Are you going to this glorious Savior and asking him and pleading with him to change you and the people around you, to transform all of us into the image of God? That's one thing that this uh, text indicates. But another thing this text indicates is this. Now there's a cascade of grace coming out. And notice how this cascade of grace, when it comes out, changes the life of the centurion, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, and the women mentioned in this passage. Why? Because now we have profound access to the Father. Have you experienced the transformative reality of God's grace? Have you? Is it changing your life right now? If you're a believer, the Bible says, uh, Paul says in Romans 12, 2, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There, uh, Paul gives a passive command. Now, those of you that know uh, in the English language know it's kind of hard to command a passive because it's something that's happening to you. How can you command something that happened to you? you know, it's an active verb. That's the verb of command. But Paul gives the passive. Why? Because Paul's saying, allow the gospel to transform you. Allow the gospel to transform you. How do, you, how do I do that, Pastor? By submitting to it. 
when you read scripture, submit to it. Be like Joseph of Arimathea who is looking for the kingdom of God. And he, he willingly submits to the process so much so that he's willing to lose his reputation. That's how you submit to the kingdom, uh, the kingdom commands. By being transformed by the Holy Spirit. You might be an unbeliever in here today and you say, well, how does the gospel transform uh, me? By believing in it. The Bible says you become a new creation. What does that mean, you become a new creation? Well, just what it says, everything about you changes. Over time. Slowly. Over time. My wife uh, recently, um, for some reason, uh, has been, you know, the phone or whatever, uh, starts showing us pictures of our children when they were young. And uh, as I looked at those pictures this past week, I was struck at how little they were. And those of you that know my children know they're not little anymore. They're not little anymore. But I love to look at those old pictures, and then I love to stare at them. Because when I do, I see the transformation. Pause for a moment. And think a look at your life. Have you seen a transformation? Have you seen the power of God in your life? Changing you. Changing you. That's the power of the gospel. That's what's represented here. I could only imagine that centurion or Joseph of Arimathea or the women looking back on their life as they're giving Mark and Matthew and Luke and John these accounts and thinking to themselves, wow, the gospel has certainly changed me. And I can see it. Has it changed you? And if not, why not? And if it has, then let it continue. Father, we thank you so much for today. And we certainly thank you for the power, the transformative power of the gospel. Even as we gathered here today, we are reminded that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, something profoundly happened, something profoundly changed. And now we are all different as a result. Oh, Father, bless us now. Help us to be reminded of that, I pray. And help us to live in light of that, I pray. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen.